Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN, which is CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag leadership and hashtag change. So the topic here today is um, change at the speed of trust. And we have Sangi Watsa, who's the Chief Information Officer and Executive Vice President with Comerica Bank. Hey, Sangi, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, uh, Sanjog, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, the honors are all ours. And the reason we wanted to do this show more than anything else is because we know everything, we look at business, our lives, everything is moving at a pretty warp speed. Now, when we look at an environment where we want to bring about change, and yes, we can announce it at the top that the change is coming, but to make it happen, we need to have some sort of trust. And if there is a lack of synchronization in terms of the level at which the trust is in an organization, plus compared to what the level or speed at which you want to bring the change, when there is a lack of synchronicity, uh, we will see that there would be a problem. So how do we first make sure that our trust is at an optimum level and subsequently and consciously, we'll take all change initiatives and kind of measure and rationalize and prioritize to make sure they really hit the mark. So that being said, the first question for you is about trust. So we always look at trust as, okay, yes, that's something which is fluid, and we wanted to talk about that as an organizational development issue or leadership issue. But since it is an underpinning, or almost what happens to an organization, and it becomes important. Do you think there is a way to actually measure, and in a more, more, more tangible manner, but versus just being a soft factor? Sanjog, I think that that's an excellent question. And uh, uh, before I start, I, I am humbled to be invited to this session and uh, have the opportunity to share my thoughts on, uh, you know, as you said, change at the speed of trust. Uh, I believe it's a great topic, uh, and that means so much when it comes to driving real change. And so what I'll share with you on the call today are my perspectives that have been shaped by my own experiences and my failures, and by also observing the successes and uh, failures of others around me. Uh, the, the the point you made about uh, trust is fluid. I'm going to actually maybe start with responding uh, to that remark. Uh, I actually do believe uh, trust is fluid. However, I also believe that it does solidify over time with the positive actions and proper uh, care and feed. So in my mind, uh, you know, there are a few deliberate things uh, uh, that could be done in order to create and solidify trust in an organization. And I'll quickly share some of those thoughts with you, and then I'll share my thoughts on uh, uh, probably how do we measure and how do we create some benchmarks. Does that sound reasonable? Definitely. So I would say I think the first one, I believe, is centered on transparency and communication. And that one, I believe, where leaders uh, need to be transparent. They need to provide an environment where, I would say, fearless two-way dialogue flourishes. Uh, So we need to regularly share the purpose. Uh, We need to encourage uh, people asking hard questions and providing feedback, you know, making timely changes is very important, and then sharing the rationale behind those changes and how those changes benefit people, I think, becomes very, very important. 
I would also say having genuine interest in people's development and showing that interest with compassion goes a long way. And I've got uh, two uh, children, uh, one soon to be 20, another is 17. And I've always felt that when you take the same interest in developing your employees as you do uh, uh, with your own children, you are well-guided in your actions. And then the other piece I would say is, you know, taking... uh, uh, actions that create business outcomes that are big, sustainable, and they garner respect. I think they, those are the things that motivate people even when they're going through a change. And uh, very importantly, you know, acknowledging when you make mistakes as a leader and uh, showing how you learned from that, uh, again, goes a long way. So those are some of the thoughts I feel uh, help you create trust in your organization and they solidify trust over the course of time. Uh, I think your other question is, uh, how do you measure it? Uh, there, there are three things that I would say that come to mind. The first one I would say is that are the employees in your organization attracting their colleagues and friends to come and work in your organization? In other words, uh, is there a high net promoter score or an NPS? That would be the, the benchmark to use. The second uh, would be, do leaders in the organization have a track record where people are reaching out to those leaders to come and work for them? In other words, uh, you know, is there a high net attractor score? And that would be the benchmark for that measure. And then the third one I would say is, uh, how well does the organization respond to failures and uses those as learning opportunities? In other words, uh, what is the organization's learning quotient? So those are the three things come to mind. Uh, how would you really track your progress against uh, building and uh, sustaining trust? That's great. So when we talk about the trust and, and we always say that, okay, if you show the right behavior because nobody's sitting in your mind, you, what you, what you, the way you behave, the way your demeanor is, and how you react to certain things is what engenders trust. But then if you are not going to have the required trust level, you can only fake for so long. You will give it away and that will break the trust forever. So w- what should come first? Would you think you have to start deliberating first or first you say, I'm going to clean everybody's mind in everybody, every team member first so that they start trusting? I mean, this, this, this becomes like boil the ocean or, or trying to do too many things at the same time. It may never yeah. even see the, the daylight. And I would say, I think like in many other areas, uh, I think what really matters is how you do what you do and uh, really focusing on uh, demonstrating high integrity when you're trying to build trust in an organization so that your actions follow your words. And I would say I think that very much applies in this, this area as well. And uh, you know, if, I, if I think about kind of the comment and the question you just asked is, uh, I would still uh, be on the side that you should be focused on consistently exhibiting, uh, exhibiting the desired behaviors. And the goal here is to essentially create a positive reinforcing cycle through positive actions that would essentially grow the trust account of your organization. So 
I mean, when I say trust count of your organization, um, I, what I basically mean by that is, you know, increase uh, in trust further leads to desired behaviors in form of higher empowerment, uh, higher creativity, and that results in higher productivity. So See, essentially, approach, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, essentially, you reach a stage uh, uh, that if any failures occur in your organization, you build that depth to absorb uh, that impact. And uh, so it becomes very important that your actions are going to uh, create the level of foundation in the organization. And, you know, just a speech on trust, I believe, doesn't uh, last for too long. Uh, actions do uh, create, the, create layers of trust, and, and uh, it's not a short journey. So your response, it's interesting the way you approach this is where someone has to kind of show the behavior because that's going to start creating trust among others. Now, that could be true for a top-down or a boss talking to a reportee. There is no incentive for one co-worker to show a specific desired or expected behavior towards other when the trust doesn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. So at that point, you are not thinking your coworkers' productivity. You simply wanted to interact with that person on a uh, basically even for the work, even a project needs to get done, and you reach out to say, "Okay, I need a resource that you can give me," or "I think we have to work together." But that dialogue, even if it stays at work, they really are not thinking of making that other person successful, especially when you may not have that high degree of trust already somehow built. Mm-hmm. How would you crack that problem? Because in that case, that person, you cannot watch that one one coworker to be demonstrating a certain behavior, and you cannot be saying, okay, you does not, did not show that behavior, this could have further worsened it, so that's why you are either demoted or fired or something else happens. You know, you don't use the sticks to, to engender trust. And the trust, frankly, is less of an issue in many cases Yes, with leaders and, and the reportees, it is most probably at the peer level when the trust, when is not existing, it percolates and it has its bigger damages. Would you agree? You know, I, I would say uh, anytime you're driving a change, that is significant. Uh, and sometimes, you know, these issues that you talked about that uh, uh, form over the course of time or they exist in organizations that you say join or you, 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 you take over those organizations, you know, they've been uh, outcomes of actions that uh, may have happen, uh, happened in the past. And so I believe that when you are uh, really trying to drive that change in a way that you want to drive it in a very sustainable way, you have to think about a segment of one. You cannot sit there and make uh, an assumption that at, at an organization level, as a, as a whole, we would be able to become productive and effective. Uh, all at one time. So I think really focusing on segment of one, really understanding that the change that you're driving, what is the impact of that on, of the change on every individual? Uh, to me, I think getting to that level of personalization of understanding the implications and the impacts of the change. Uh, and also at the same time, how do you really motivate and inspire the organization to really connect with the strategic plans of the organization, the future of the company? So I, I agree with you that you know if you if you uh, leave it up to uh, a top-down view, uh, then again the effect would not be as uh, uh, as strong. Um, and it has to be both bottoms up and top-down. You have to really understand at uh, every level 
uh, of the organization. As a result, you don't just, as a leader, drive the change. You actually create a, a network of leaders in the organization. And ir- uh, irrespective of band or uh, grade uh, or a title, you're actually really inspiring leaders to step up and, uh, and uh, lead for the organization. So when you spoke about change and when you're coming in, suppose you inherit an organization which doesn't have a high degree of trust. And, and that's where you needed some trust to begin with. When you mentioned you even would create a, a, a team of leaders. So suddenly those leaders would not magically appear unless otherwise you recruit from outside at all times. But it doesn't happen uh, when you are trying to get in and trying to get started. So if mm-hmm. you had to come in and try to even think about change, you need to be able to trust someone or enough people so that it could have a critical mass for it to percolate throughout the organization. So when you're getting started, if you had a playbook, what would that starting point look like? Yeah, and you know, that's a, uh, it's definitely a very, uh, I would say, very powerful uh, set of uh, points you've just shared and, and, and your kind of point about, right, how do you really create a, uh, call it, a, and I just said, a, a playbook. Uh, and I'll, I'll share my thoughts on how do I maybe envision a playbook in the space, uh, and you know, anytime you go through organization changes, or as you said, you know, coming in and trust does not exist. Uh, uh, anytime you go through a change, uh, uh, that change does basically take a debit out of your trust account because uh, changes are not easy, and people will read into some changes differently than what may have been perceived. So, having a clear purpose and uh, ensuring that that purpose is being uh, shared with people on an ongoing basis becomes very important. Uh, if I think about uh, what would you maybe methodically go about doing in order to really drive that level of uh, development of trust and then how do you sustain it? Uh, I think, as I said, uh, clearly establishing the purpose for the change and what are some of the key principles that are the foundation for the change. Um, I mean, an example could be if you are really embarking on uh, building customer-centric digital products with faster speed to market, I think being very clear about why are we doing that and what's the purpose behind that. Uh, thoughtfully planning the change. So, for example, what cascades, in what order, uh, within what time frame, uh, what uh, concerns need to be anticipated and mitigated. The next one I would say as a leader and as an organization, uh, which is a, uh, basically a team of leaders, uh, being, uh, being authentic. Uh, and compassionate, uh, and being sensitive about the impact the change is having on people. And that's what I basically mean is that, you know, you are, uh, and I've had the opportunity of uh, being through a number of changes. Uh, either they have been uh, uh, done, uh, that I've been part of it, or I've been the one who had been the architect of that change. Uh, you know, being out there, uh, being visible, uh, having these uh, town halls on a very regular basis, uh, being there to answer the tough questions. Uh, so I think that's the point, the point about being sensitive. Uh, the other piece would be, you know, being able to clearly articulate the change timeline. So, for example, uh, time boxing, the people impacts uh, is very important uh, so that you can, in a timely way, shift from a state of anxiety to a state of uh, productive growth. And, and and just the, the the related point I would basically make is that you know people are really at the at the at the time that you're going through a change. Uh, uh, I think being timely in sharing uh, the perspective, uh, uh, even some people who 
would be adversely impacted by a change and may not appreciate uh, that impact, but what they do appreciate is that being timely, being transparent, being open about communicating. And then for the rest of the organization that is very much looking forward to, you know, what does this mean? When do we start to exercise the new strategic priorities? So that way they can basically be inspired and feel the connection to the future of the company. So those are the things that come to mind where you would go methodically about uh, doing things in an iterative way uh, and be able to drive both uh, the top-down and the bottom-up message. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, uh, Sangi, since you mentioned the word being open, my next question when we come back from the break is about being open and authentic at all times. But then we have also seen that there are certain strategies or certain environments or certain situations in which we are, it is suggested to not be completely open and authentic because that would break the level of trust that currently exists in the organization. Whatever those situations are, but we get these conflicting um, messages, if you will, about what we should be doing. And this doesn't only exist in the ivory tower, but it also exists in within the group. Sometimes we say, oh, this is open culture and everything. Other times we are asked to contain that information within that group because we don't want it to come out, which in turn could be misinterpreted and or uh, undermine the overall trust in the organization. So what is the right approach so that we do not, for the sake of a situation, or for such sake of a given circumstance, jeopardize by introducing this conflicting um, priorities and or com- conflicting um, messages or mindsets that we are trying to develop. Because people get confused. Let's talk more about this when we come back. Please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, we are referring to, Sangi, these situations where we hear on one hand that we have to be open mm-hmm. and authentic at all times because that's the key to building a great culture and trust and everything else. On the other hand, we do see there are situations where we are being hush-hush within a group or within the organization or within a department, you name it. So, is this mm-hmm. is this happening because some people don't buy into that overall approach or this is, uh, this is how a culture uh, can be defined, which is a hybrid culture, open and authentic, but at the same time, do what is needed to get the job done, even though it's not maybe in the best interest, long-term interest of the company. Yeah, so I would say, uh, and, uh, and, and and thanks for the question, Sanjog. Uh, the more I think about this topic, more it becomes even clearer, and more I have uh, had a chance to be uh, in those experiences, it has become more clear. 
that uh, there are no double standards in the space. Uh, this is uh, all about being consistent. And uh, when you think about you know, having a bias for being open, honest, uh, you know, being transparent, uh, being timely in sharing the information, then it becomes very important that the information, when it's ready, uh, you're not holding back that information. Because if you do hold back, uh, there are other different uh, channels through which the information will eventually get out. And if uh, people in your organization realize that there was information that was ready but was not shared, uh, you may get some short-term benefits, uh, but eventually it will deplete the organization's uh, trust. And uh, having said that, you know there are always... Uh, uh, protocols to be followed. There is a certain order to organizational uh, communication so that people who need to know first are fully informed and the information is shared when it is ready to be shared. Um, so I guess I can, I can think of an example. Uh, you know, we were in one of the organizational changes and what it involved was uh, we had people whose jobs were being impacted due to consolidation uh, at the same time, we had other people who had uh, taken on additional responsibilities, uh, and that came with some promotions. And one set of advice that we got was to uh, remove the announcements that were pertaining to uh, people who were getting promoted as they were taking on additional responsibilities. And at that point, as a leader, you have to make a decision, and so in spirit of uh, transparency and recognition, we decided to respectfully thank our colleagues uh, whose jobs were being adversely impacted. And we chose to recognize colleagues who were taking on higher responsibilities and thanks that they had been working uh, towards their uh, career aspirations and career goals. So if we are looking at an organization and given where we are as uh, commercial enterprises, I would point to at this time, we are all trying to please the Wall Street versus and shareholder value is more important than what employee welfare is and what culture we develop. The results-based type of organizations. When we go there, we want productivity. And when we talk about productivity, we want to find out ways by which we incent people. And that could, you know, even include competition. And when we talk competition, that means we are saying, you fend for your own rights, you fend for your own... Uh, success uh, in your career, yes, you will talk about the team goals and departmental, but essentially it becomes lone warriors versus a team. And which, in a way, as long as everyone is running, trying to run faster than the other, the whole company moves forward, that's great. But it can come to a point where it starts or it can cannibalize trust and openness because people would want to hold back information or, or avenues where the other person could succeed. Mm-hmm. So in this case, when we are trying to say we want to instill trust, on the other hand, we also want to advocate heavily whatever we can get done or get the most productivity out of people, even including you know um, supporting competition. Isn't that a little counterproductive? Yeah, you know what I would I would say uh, you have to be productive both in the short term and in, and in the in the long run and. Uh, there are ways to be thinking in terms of how do you iteratively create productivity. Uh, but if your sole focus gets on productivity and not to really be investing in trust development, uh, it will absolutely have repercussions where in the long term your productivity would be difficult to sustain. 
So I, I believe you start with the trust focus. Uh, and the reason I feel that way is that the authenticity and the right behaviors that you exhibit, they actually lead to higher trust and that leads to higher organizational productivity. Uh, you know, we win uh, or we lose as a team. Uh, I would say individual, and the individual accomplishments as you talked about uh, and those recognitions are clearly important. Um, however, when we create an organization that has a clear purpose uh, and shared goals, that I would say are centered on employees, customers, and shareholders, we actually end up creating a bigger pie, and everyone's share of that pie actually grows. On the other hand, you could get into a situation where you do not produce the expected outcomes, and there is no pie to share. So I would basically uh, share my perspective on that would be, you know, as teams, you basically think about teams are not only people working together, uh, but these are instead people who are trusting one another. And when you have the focus on teams, you know, teams win, and it's, as a result, individuals win. So my view would be, yes, uh, you know, start with the focus on trust and productivity follows both in the short term and in the long term. Now let's talk about those uh, folks who are essentially not necessarily always noisemakers, but they are the ones who would raise their hand first, look the most excited, and try to be actively participating in everything. Whether or not they eventually deliver the final result is, is yes, of course, is also noticed, but they somehow take the cake or are given more opportunities. That's at least been the complaint of many who may be otherwise very motivated, have shown consistency. They've always been helpful to their team members. They've always been offering constructive feedback and or adding value, but they feel their growth or forward movement is stifled by those other noisemakers. And that, in a way, creates animosity and even unknowingly creates distrust that these guys are trying to sabotage our growth because they have a way to get noticed and get more opportunities or get rewarded. Mm-hmm. How do you prevent that from happening as part yeah. of instilling trust? And, you know, I've had my first-hand experience <laughs> being on the, on the side of uh, feeling that at times uh, early on in my career uh, where uh, I was not as outward uh, and as uh, uh, active in demonstrating what I had produced. And I would feel sometimes similar kind of uh, challenges that you just talked about that other colleagues may feel. So I do have some passion on that topic to really help everybody uh, not to get uh, and feel left left behind. Uh, I, I feel, first of all, the creation, uh, the realization, and uh, I would say recognition of business outcomes is very important. So business outcomes do matter, uh, and uh, their creation, realization, and recognition is very important. And there is also a very important difference between being aggressive and being assertive. So as leaders, I believe we should be very actively nurturing assertiveness as it creates higher productivity uh, for an organization. Uh, Everyone needs to become assertive, uh, not necessarily aggressive, and the value that he or she then creates can be articulated and could be then felt and realized. Uh, and what it does is it, it actually adds to the confidence and the fulfillment of an individual's uh, interest. 
at the same time, you know, this doesn't come easy. This doesn't just happen by you know pressing a button to say let's become assertive. This happens uh, when you invest in that uh, goal. You actually, as a leader, uh, and through your network of leaders in your organization, you create a trust-based, safe and so on, uh, where you are actually giving people a chance to practice uh, practice assertiveness. They are basically being groomed for that skill, and that way, everyone in an organization feels that they can compete openly and with that level of positive uh, energy we're actually having a chance to be recognized for their contributions so my kind of view on that is you know focusing on assertiveness is, is absolutely more important and at the end of the end of the day business outcomes matter and it becomes clear uh, you know, who's the one who's actually driving the change Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about any major disruptions that happen in the business. And that may be voluntarily invited because you could have mergers and acquisitions happening. And then as a result of that, you may have to do some correction. Nothing wrong with that. But the way they are carried out is the moment m and happens, people start shaking because they don't know which Friday will they be invited into HR's office and be told that your job has been terminated. I am firsthand, I have I've met with so many people who would always go into the office, whether or not they have been invited to the HR's office or not, but there's an inherent distrust that, that, that the organization doesn't care for me. It just cares for that continuous growth, continuous you know, uh, M&A or whatever that they are doing. But the trust is not going to come with this person because at any given time, they could be invited into that HR's office. So, so the way this is being carried and, and while, while M&A is happening, that's great for the company, but I think we could do something better to not undermine or undo all the trust building that we did before M&A or before any such disruption. What's a better way to handling this? But please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, um, uh, Sengi, when we talk about M&As or any such uh, issues where the either company is going through um, a, a financial trouble, or it could have M&A as a disruption. Any of those cases have to be handled gracefully and ideally making sure that all the trust that we built over the years is not undermined, not only among the people who are leaving, but also the ones who are left in the company because you'll have to literally start all over. But it seems like it has not been handled well. So where do you think people may be going wrong and what's a better way to approach it? 
Yeah, I would say, Sanjog, uh, that one is very important as well. And, uh, you know, when organizational changes happen, uh, M&As happen, you know, joint ventures happen and other changes happen, uh, there are, these changes are never easy. And they do take, again, you know, as I said earlier, they do take a debit out of your trust account. And uh, first of all, really putting that focus on uh, what does it mean to our colleagues who are not going to be with us uh, and really working that in a very respectful way and really recognizing people for their contributions that they have made to the company, uh, really understanding uh, how would that uh, level of separation be experienced by those employees, uh, getting our HR partners very actively uh, engaged with us to really ensure or, or to ensure that uh, the level of understanding is felt at an individual level, not at a team level. And to me, I think that that is one piece is that how do you really exercise uh, those actions during that level, uh, that phase of separation for some of the colleagues. And uh, the actions that you to- uh, that you take will determine that are you really helping uh, sustain the brand equity or, or are you depleting from the brand equity? Because we work in a network, which is a very close network in this industry, and people uh, work and go and work in other places, and it's uh, word of mouth. And so how do you uh, treat people goes a long way. But at the same time, you have to balance it out by uh, ensuring that people who are uh, part of the organization, who are going to be part of the uh, strategic change, are absolutely feeling inspired and motivated. And they can really put... Uh, clearly, you know, what does the go-forward plan look like and how does the actions of that organization support the overarching goals of the of the bank or of, or of the company. So to me, I think those would be the two pieces to highlight that, uh, you know, doing uh, and taking actions with high respect uh, for the colleagues who would be uh, leaving and for ensure, and also at the same time ensuring that you are taking the right actions to keep your employee force, your workforce fully motivated and, and inspired. Uh, having a playbook always helps, and I shared some thoughts with you earlier uh, on how would you go about methodically ensuring that you are uh, consistently adding to that trust account and uh, and not uh, depleting from it. I can so, uh, you know, hi- I can highlight one uh, one quick example uh, when I, w- I was engaged with one of the very large uh, uh, joint ventures. Uh, and I was actually managing the technology for that joint venture. It was almost close to a billion-dollar joint venture. And uh, I would say the initial phase of that joint venture did not go as expected. Uh, and part of the reason was that uh, the people who were part of the change, including the vendors, were not fully informed about the benefits and impacts. A number of uh, practices that I shared with you earlier in the playbook uh, question that you asked, uh, as we really, in a very deliberate way, apply some of those practices of uh, openness, transparency, uh, being assertive in articulating the benefits to the organization and to the individuals. I think as those actions were applied, it helped raise the trust amongst the team members. And the subsequent phases, phases that followed were very, very successful. And overall, the joint venture was a huge success. And so there were some significant learnings, uh, but the course correction happened very quickly. And uh, some of these things then became even more clear in my own mind that this is a repeatable set of practices that you can apply in other 
situations as well. You know, when we look at trust as a as an issue or a softer issue for the most part, perhaps it becomes like, you know, taking a Tylenol for the pain versus going for surgery means you do not really end up spending a whole lot of time or no deliberate action has been taken to restore trust within the organization. Suppose there's a leader who sees I'm coming in for uh, bringing about change and I see the trust level low, so you start working towards it. Now, if this was a little more institutionalized approach versus one person walking in as a lone warrior, then you would have HR involved. You would have other uh, people involved versus just a few leaders or what that one leader who's trying to restore trust. And if that requires you to do activities, if you were if that would require to do certain special projects, which would have, among other tangible outcomes, a major objective could be to restore trust, then those investments would be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. It does, does it in real life, since you live this every day, do you think the, the organization has an appetite to formalize trust building as actually an investment because if you have lower trust, you will take time, more time for making decisions. You will mm-hmm. have issues related to challenges. So, in a way, it's going to cost you money. Right. Can we invest yeah, I, towards Yeah. And I, I would say very, uh, that's, that's a deep thought and I, I appreciate you kind of expressing it the way you expressed it. And I will tell you, uh, some organizations do a more effective uh, job of uh, putting the focus on this very important priority and others may not be able to do it as, as effectively. And then what you see in the outcomes of those changes, and it becomes clear uh, which of the uh, two organizations were more successful depending on you know, what practices were actually applied. But I, if I think about uh, this very, very critical and strategic word trust, to me it is by far the most critical success factor for an organization to grow and thrive. So as a result, uh, you know, I do not uh, believe that you need to do a, a thorough business case to restore trust. Uh, you simply do it through practices that I have shared. Some of those I've shared just from my own experience and my own pers- perspectives. I'm sure there are better ideas out there, uh, but the ones that I've shared, I've seen them work in the past. Uh, and so I believe that this is something you do it. Uh, maybe you put a Nike sign uh, and put trust development right next to it. Uh, I also feel that you know each individual in the organization needs to hear clearly and understand what does that change mean to them and how it supports their career aspirations. You know, that's part of the kind of the uh, mechanics of how do you go about in that playbook. Uh, and I would say finally, you know, and when you're driving that kind of a change at an organization level, it, it does require hard work and it requires some uh, deep thinking. Uh, think about that as a program. It's not a side effect of uh, trust development happening. It's actually a very deliberate uh, focus up front. So you're actually in a very deep way, you're thinking, you're planning, you're designing that change. You're actually executing the change. You're constantly monitoring the change and the effects to make sure that any adjustments that need to be made are being made in a timely way. You will inevitably take some hit to your trust account uh, when you go through a large change. The goal, however, is to minimize the debits out of your trust account. And uh, when you're serious about it, you will 
look at every possible opportunity that presents itself where you actually then have a bias to double up the credit building and adding back to your trust account. So that's basically my view would be, you know, you don't need a business case, but what you do need is you need a really well thought through design, delivery, and execution of that plan. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the actual results which a leader could potentially demonstrate. Because when a leader comes in, uh, and even their own department heads, they are supposed to instill trust that whatever we are saying actually makes sense. And those results could be um, tangible results in terms of what you did for the company and also other results which could be bringing some softer impact on the organization. But regardless, what type of results, softer or tangible, should leaders at whatever level they are have to deliver in order to earn the initial respect and the trust that whatever they're going to try to tell going forward should be taken on its face value and be followed. Please, listeners, uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So we are talking about results and frankly, nothing speaks louder than results. So Sangi, when we look at the type of results that a leader need to showcase, whichever level in the organization they are, what would those be so that they create the foundation of trust, at least people in terms of people trusting them so that whatever they do going forward is, is, is recognized, is respected and followed? Yeah. And, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, when you're designing and delivering a change like this one, and change could be, you know, could be a, at a team level, could be at a department level, could be at an entire organization level, uh, you know, it starts with you as an individual, who is the leader uh, setting up the tone for the change. But then at the same time, you as an individual can never fulfill the change for the entire organization or for the entire team. So you need everybody to share that responsibility and to share that passion. So it, it starts with the individuals who are leading by example. And as you said, said actions are much louder. Um, and they are much louder than words. I would say the leader then needs to uh, quickly create a highly empowered organization uh, and leverage the creativity and the will of the colleagues to drive the transformation. Uh, you are basically going to be measured by uh, not only the path you took to get to the destination, but did you actually arrive at the destination? So arriving at the destination is, is also very, very important, uh, and, and the journey that you take is very important. So the leader needs to be knowledgeable. They need to show experience in the important details 
they need to demonstrate their comprehension of the organization's strategic goals. Uh, and, you, uh, and your goal you may have set up for the organization uh, could be something like, you know, you're going to drive uh, X percent uh, higher revenue growth by cutting the time to market by Y percent and with a focus on delivering customer-centric uh, digital products. So if, if that's the kind of the strategic goal, getting everybody to really understand the significance of that goal and the leader being able to not only comprehend but being able to articulate the so what of that, of that goal. The other piece that becomes very important uh, in that uh, outcome generation is that you're creating a flat organization where every colleague, irrespective, as I said earlier, of their band and title, is able to feel the empowerment to take that initiative and to lead that important organizational level of uh, uh, change without basically a lot of oversight. So that level of empowerment goes a long way. Uh, once people have understood the purpose and they have gotten behind the shared uh, priorities, uh, then you want to let them basically free. And so that's the uh, that's the couple actions. Uh, what also matters a lot is that are you really creating some quick wins? And are those quick wins being uh, celebrated as uh, a foundation for your next set of outcomes to come? And I think if I, if I think about it, uh, for maybe just very quickly an example uh, where I have always felt that connecting with anybody in the organization, whether they are the millennials, uh, they are the uh, you know, Gen Xs, Gen Ys, or people who are baby boomers in an organization who bring immense knowledge and experience, being able to connect with every segment of your employee base and giving them the empowerment to show the art of the possible is what really sets organizations from uh, from others. And in a way, what you're doing is you're truly crowdsourcing your organization transformation through your colleagues and uh, and creating basically an organizational growth engine. So crowdsource, basically, for, for some of the members in the audience may not fully appreciate it. Uh, that's where you're leveraging every colleague in your organization to demonstrate that of the possible and giving them the empowerment to go and deliver. And that would be my kind of uh, you know approach to how do you really then create sustainable outcomes. So that said, the fun final question I have for you is basically connecting back to the very topic, which is change at the speed of trust, which was essentially about you know kind of throttling the change in such a way, controlling its the pace of change. So that at no point, it basically maximizes the value it can get out of the trust that exists in the organizations, but at no point should it become counterproductive or undermine the trust. Because whenever you make a change, it, it kind of, ha- trust takes a hit one way or the other. So how do you kind of play this balancing act? What would you do yeah. to uh, have the best balance possible, the perfect pairing, if you will? Yeah. So I'm not sure I'm uh, fully there to uh, share with you a perfect balance, but what I would, uh, you know, what I aspire to do is to really uh, have a sense and respond kind of a culture where you're constantly sensing uh, and you're uh, making adjustments as required and truly very agile and iterative way to think about change management. And so you do need to strike the right balance. You want to ensure that the pace of change, as you said, is not too uh, fast or, or too or too slow for that matter, because uh, the pace of change is too slow, uh, you could leave a lot of anxiety in the environment, and if the pace of change is too fast, you could create a lot of uh, uh, chaos in the uh, in the organization. 
And so a few things that I shared earlier, uh, uh, you know, having some quick wins and being able to uh, learn from those quick wins, uh, having a culture that uh, basically supports a fast fail uh, and and provides a ways for people to learn from those opportunities. Uh, you know, fast failures are actually good because uh, you don't really lose a whole lot of investment. Uh, at the same time, you know, you're able to learn and then apply the learning to your next uh, set of actions. Uh, and as you go through uh, this level of uh, change, you also want to make sure that the uh, measures of uh, success that I shared earlier, that you're closely monitoring those things. And are people attracting talent? Uh, so in other words, is your, is your net promoter score staying high during the change? Are, are, are people basically uh, wanting to come and work for leaders? Uh, is your net attractor score staying high? Um, and are you, is your learning quotient staying high? You know, are people willing to come and share bad news? and not have any kind of concerns about sharing bad news. But the positive intent that they're really trying to make it uh, a win-win for themselves and for the organization. So I think having some of those uh, constructs in play and and constantly using those tools, uh, to me, is a way to ensure that we are uh, going to have the right balance. And then you know, there will be missteps uh, along the way. And uh, I tell you, I've had my fair share of those missteps uh, uh, I think what's more important is do you have that uh, sense and respond culture where you as a leader as well can acknowledge uh, a misstep and uh, and be able to show the change and uh, and the learning from that uh, misstep. So that's, On behalf that of the my... show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Sangi, for sharing your insights about how we can establish high-trust environment and ensure that change always happens at the speed of trust. I really thank you so much, Sangi, for taking the time today. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, CIO Talk Network, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, uh, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.